what is an artist? What's your definition of that? <laughs> and so part of me was trapped in, well, I don't know. Do I meet that definition of it? Do I mean like, okay, I'm a writer because I write. It's like, it's my soul companion. I love it. It loves me. <laughs> so I'm a writer. This is it. Welcome to School for Writers, where we help you ditch that starving, tortured artist cliche and thrive. No more struggling over whether your story is good enough or wondering if your voice deserves to be heard. It's time to step into the power of telling your story to the world. I'm your host, Lauren Marie Fleming, and I am a book-obsessed, queer, fat, witchy, divinely loud woman, and I know what it's like to have society tell you to sit down and shut up. But I'm here to tell you that you've been silenced for far too long. School for Writers was created to help you push through doubt and fear so you can stop procrastinating and start writing. Because the world needs your story now more than ever. Welcome to School for Writers. Let's get to it. Hello, School for Writers listeners. We have an exciting announcement, and that is that we are taking a time off. We will come back in September, but we are taking the whole month of August off to do what we like to call pause and reflect. As you're about to hear in this episode with Octavia Rahim, we are full, full believers in modeling the idea that hustle isn't the way to make it work as a creative. You need time offline. You need time not being productive, not creating something new, but simply experiencing life so you have something to write about. We build rest breaks into everything that we do here at School for Writers, from our programs to our social media to here on the podcast. So we are taking the month of August off. We take a month every quarter off to just pause and reflect and live our lives and catch up on the things that are outside of being here in the constant production hustle. So you won't see us for a month unless you're in one of our programs in which you know how to go into your classroom and we will show you everything on how to get a hold of us. If you're looking for us on social media, you won't find us. We're taking the month off. If you're listening to the podcast, you won't find us here either. We're taking the month off. See this as a time for you as well to take some time off, to enjoy your life, to catch up on old podcast episodes. We are here trying to model this to encourage you as well, our listeners, our clients, our friends, our people that we are in a community with, to also take significant parts of your life off to live it. So I hope that you enjoy this episode of the podcast where we go into why that is so important. And we hope that you enjoy your month of August off and to rest, and we'll see you again in September. Welcome back to the School for Writers podcast. On today's episode, we have such a soul-fulfilling, beautifully inspiring interview with Octavia Rahim. Today, we're going to talk about two things that matter a lot to me, and you're going to hear me talking about a lot in my life, and that is resting and writing, and how they're interconnected and how important they are for each other, and how pausing and taking time to reflect is the foundation of everything you should do as a creative. We're gonna talk about the pathway to remembrance, how there's always wisdom that emerges when you go within, and how there's possibility in the pauses, and how completely life-changing and transformational it can be when you take rest. 
And we have Octavia Rahim here to help us do that and have that conversation. Octavia Rahim is a mother, author of self-published book Gather, and the upcoming book Pause, Rest, and Be, coming out by Penguin Random House. And oh, do I love that title, Pause, Rest, and Be. So good. Octavia is a yoga teacher and the founder of Starshine and Clay Online, yoga and meditation studio for Black women and women of color. Octavia is a deep listener and a truth teller. She's a gatherer and a space holder for rest and awakening. As a teacher and a leader, she has the skill of hearing beneath the surface for what isn't being said yet needs to be. She guides us towards resonance and connection, even when the truths we witness, hear, and encounter vary from our own. Octavia has more than 15 years of experience and nearly 10,000 hours of leading classes, immersions, and trainings. Octavia co-founded Sacred Chill West Yoga and Meditation Studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Sacred Chill West was not only a yoga studio, it was a community center that brought people together from all over our nation to practice, learn, rest, and grow. As a writer, and as somebody who even talks with us, you'll see that she has a distinctive voice one that is wise, otherworldly, and also familiar. Her teaching is grounded in her roots and real life experience as a Southern Black American woman, learning to love herself as well as center her well-being and transformation via yoga, rest, meditation, and yoga nidra. Her teachings and writings are that glowing fire that everyone can gather around. And I'm so excited to be gathering around Octavia's fire. And we're going to talk a little bit more about your own fire and how you can open that up as well in this call. It is both beautifully inspiring of rest and absolutely inspiring as a writer. And I am just so excited to share it with you. So here's my interview with Octavia Rahim. Hello, Octavia. Welcome. I am just so beyond excited to have you on here. We just chatted even before recording this for a really long time because I love your energy and I love what you bring into this world. So I just did your formal introduction. Why don't you tell us who you are and what you love to offer the world? I'm a mother. I have a five-year-old son. I am a writer, Arthur, and it's been a long time coming to say that when someone asked me who I am, despite writing since I was four, <laughs> you know, and identifying that this this is who I am. I wouldn't say it, though. So there's that. So I'm a mother. I'm a writer. I'm an Arthur, the Arthur of Gather. I am a restorative yoga and yoga ninja teacher. I guess I'll say I'm a yoga teacher, but I focus on practices that are really um, internal and quieting. I am a devotee to rest, right, as a creative tool. I am a wife. I am a daughter. I am a lover of women and Black women and women of color. I'll call myself a womanist. I am Southern born, Southern USA born. I am a lifelong learner and student. And... I think that's it. <laughs> like, I think those that's are the darn good list right there. That is a beautiful list. I loved that you, you called yourself a womanist. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm I'm curious. I'm I'm like curious and a space keeper and holder. And I'll just add that a little bit. That's it. <laughs> I love that. I love that you call yourself a womanist. Mm. I love that you are a devotee of rest. 
We're going to talk a lot about that this episode because in my School for Writers Academy and in School for Writers in general, we're building rest into everything we do. So I want to talk a lot about being a devotee to rest. Mm. But first, I'm going to ask you the first question that I ask everybody when they come on the podcast, and that is, why writing? So for me, I have to first add a little bit to that question, which is why reading, right? Mm. And I've been thinking about this so much because I have a five-year-old who is learning to read and write and watching him learn to read and write. And I'm really, uh, me and my partner were very focused on like him reading and writing. And it's causing me to remember that when I was about his age or a little bit younger, my mom was very clear with me in teaching me the history and legacy of Black folks in America, how it was illegal to teach us to read and write. And for whatever reason, you know, like now I'm like, wow, that is a heavy conversation to have with a four-year-old, yet it was defining, right? You know, and and from the start, I took it very serious. I was like, this is, you know, this is legacy work. I probably didn't know the word legacy, probably couldn't spell the word legacy, but so my mom helped me understand from a very early age, like, your your great grandmother, she was denied the opportunity to read and to write. And my, my mom was also, you know, she read to us every day. No matter, she was a single mother, no matter what was happening in her life, she always read to us. We always read to her. We'd sit, she'd sit sometimes and look like, now I realize she was probably asleep. She'd press the little tape recorder and have us read something or tell a story to the tape recorder and then play it back. And she'd make a big deal about, listen to how you sound, do you hear your voice? And and so my love for writing really was born from my love for reading. And those loves were born from my understanding that reading and writing are practices of liberation for my people. And then when I realized, I was like, oh, these books, someone's writing them. <laughs> you know, because little kids don't make the connections that we already have made. And I was like, someone's writing these books can I be a someone who writes a book? You know, can I be, you know, I want to be a storyteller. And, and so, my, and then I also was, I've always been very introverted, really quiet child growing up in an extended family where like, that's just weird <laughs> to be the quiet, shy, kind of awkward black girl. And the way I exercised voice though, from a very early age was through, through writing, through like observing the world and, and writing. And then why writing is important, you know, when you come from any group that's been marginalized, part of what's being marginalized is our voice and our story. And part of creating visibility and moving ourselves to the central, to, to the center is reclaiming our voice and reclaiming our story and telling it, right? And so that's a little bit by writing about why writing for me and part of that awareness and conviction around the importance of writing and reading for Black folks in America led me to be, I was a public school teacher for 10 years. I was an English language arts teacher. And my style of teaching and my approach to teaching writing was I started with the assumption, the belief rather, everyone's a writer. <laughs> like everyone's a writer because everyone has a story to tell. And teaching young people about writing also really reconnected me to, yes, writing is powerful tool, it's important, and 
and it's worthy, right? I, when I told my eighth grade students that I wasn't returning the next, next year, the, my last year teaching, I said, you know, I'm going to go. They were like, what are you going to go do? I was like, you know, I talked to y'all a lot about living your dreams and following your own curiosity and following a path that makes sense to you, even if it doesn't make sense to anyone else. And I was like, I realized that for 10 years, I've been like telling y'all to do that. And I haven't been doing it myself. I've been playing it real, real safe. And basically the lessons I've been teaching y'all have started to work on me. And I'm going to go back and reclaim, you know, my voice through writing in that way. I think I've done what I needed to do here. So that's, I mean, that's a little bit about why writing for me um, is a tool it's a pathway to liberation. It's also necessary. And I, I'm here to tell my story. And I have women in my lineage, in my legacy, who they literally, they couldn't write. There was no platform, no space for them to speak. And what I'm profoundly aware of is that as I speak and as I write, I'm giving voice to Annie Mae Williams, my maternal grandmother, who, could, who couldn't write, you know, or read beyond, you know, like a fourth grade level. I'm giving voice to my paternal grandmother, Aura, Faith, Ramsey. You know, it's like there are women whose names I do not even know, but through my writing and my storytelling, their storytelling, their stories and their lives, they live. And, you know, like writing or like any art form is a path to immortality as I see it. Right? <laughs> right? You know, like I think about, you know, I'm still reading Toni Morrison. She's very much alive, Right. Um, I'm still reading Lucille Clifton, and she's she's alive in that way. And then there are so many that will continue to be reading and returning to their words, and thus their spirit really continues to expand like through eternity. I think that's it. <laughs> that's uh, what I got to say about why writing. My whole body is tingling. Yes. <laughs> yes. <tingles. sighs> I'm, I'm here yes. to create tingles. <laughs> Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, let's subtax for that because I, I freaking love some of that and we can cuss on here. So I'm just gonna say I fucking love some of that. It's my own podcast. I can cuss if I want. I'm glad we can cuss. Man. Oh my god, yes. Um fuck yes. Cussing. Yes. We'll just put the little E next to it. I have a lovely podcast editor named Samantha who just puts a little E and warns y'all when I'm about to go off on my sailor mouth. But first off, hell yes to your mother. Hell mm -hmm. yes. Recording you reading, teaching you about legacy work. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the legacy of that and the understanding of that. Hell yes. Yeah. Second, this quote right here, reading and writing are practices of liberation for my people. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. You're giving the voice to yourself which yeah. then is like your ancestors and naming them. I love that you named your ancestors. And so, so much of that is exactly why I wanted to come on and have you on here this week. And y'all, this is going to be a soulful episode. So keep listening. Mm. I have a question for you. One of the reasons I asked you, when I asked you to come on, you wrote this beautiful piece about owning the title of writer so can you tell us a little bit about, you just told us an amazing backstory on why you love to read and why you love writing, but tell us what it took for you to claim writer as a title for yourself. <laughs> We're going uh, deep here. Octavia, you're not getting off <laughs> lately. <laughs> well, you know, I'll, the image that came to me is like something being like, 
let's say the light is the circle and there's concrete on that and there's something on that and there's something on that and something on that and and it's just just like but the light the light's in there and it it can't be it can't be dimmed it can be covered though you know it actually can't even disappear and I think some of those coverings, though, I mean, I have journals. I still have journals from when I was 12. Right? And, you know, and it's like I, I've never stopped writing since I learned to write. And I mean writing as in like composing and be like, look at my little poem or whatever it is. And I just deeply internalized. Some, one of the coatings are the concrete on top of the light that writing is to me was, well, you can't make no money doing that, shawty. Like, you know, like that doesn't even make sense. Like what is the path forward for that? And, and from where I come from it, like, you know, it's like (laughs) a part of me honors the wisdom that was like, please make sure you can take care of yourself in this world. (laughs) And some of that I internalized. I was like, you can't be a dream out here and following dreams and take care of yourself. Now I really understand that's not true. I had so much conditioning um, from so many sources that was like, you, you better get this, this degree, do this with that degree and, and stay the straight and narrow because that is reliable and you'll have life insurance and things that really matter, medical insurance, all these things. And, and so this, the little light still in there, you know, it's about, it's like bouncing around, um, covered over by all these things. And I will say around 2003, I found my way to yoga class, right? And yoga is the question you started with is, who are you? It's the question you show up to yoga to answer, right? (laughs) Or to get more questions around, to be an inquiry around. And my yoga practice and the practices I started engaging beyond asana, right? Beyond the poses you do and the things that are, you know, they look a certain way. But when I got into the practice of meditation and these practices where you're just like sitting with yourself, where you can't, there's no nothing to avoid, you know? So you start to notice the conditioning, the layers, the concrete. At some point you get really aware also that, oh, those aren't who I am. And you go, well, if those aren't who I am, you start digging through the shit like, oh, look at that. That thing is still in there. You know, so yoga was a pathway to remembrance after, you know, like I did the straight and narrow path. I did all the the things that I thought were right. And I also was like, just not happy. I was, you know, I was teaching school. I was like, this is such noble work. It, It deeply matters. I care about my community. And there was a point where I was like, but this isn't my path forward. <laughs> you know, it kind of started to feel like I was walking in someone else's shoes and they were really tight or just too, too, they didn't fit well. And so my path back to writing really started with yoga, but I said 2003, so that was a long time ago. <laughs> and But it's just, it's just this idea of like unraveling the layers that I had taken on that weren't mine until I started to really remember it. Like, well, then what's yours? What is your, what is yours to do? All the time I'm still writing now. So this is the, the wild thing about it is all the time I'm still writing. I'm just writing, I'm writing. And then comes social media. And sometimes I like write things and share. And like, you know, people would so frequently go, are you a writer? And I would literally be like, 
No. <laughs> like, what? what? Did that, that? No, I just, I just wrote this thing, but I'm not a writer. I just wrote a beautiful thing, but yeah, I'm, I'm well, not a writer. Also, because I, I loved reading, I also was like, well, I'm not that person. Like, look. So part of not claiming writing was like thinking like, oh, it means that you're published and you do it this way and people acknowledge you. But what I realized, I had it backwards. It's like, no, you acknowledge who you are. You move as if you are that because you are how like there's no other way for people to see you as you, you know, like people also were seeing me as a writer, but I'm like, I had to own being, being, being a writer and then it becomes more real to me and I operate from that place of realness, um, you know, so I don't, <laughs> it's a winding path. I, the practice that really just catapulted me into reclamation was a practice called yoga nidra and then also restorative yoga like when I really started doing practices where it's like it's just me myself and I and I have a teacher Tracy Stanley and her um, teaching partner Shanti Takarante Perez and they emphasize journaling at the end of your practices they're like you don't just do these things and then run off to the rest of your day it's like there's always wisdom that emerges where you go within right and I was doing a lot of trainings with them a few years ago. And after everything we did, we'd, we'd write, we'd write, we'd journal, or we'd draw, or there'd be some creative expression, an invitation to move toward creative expression. And so I was doing that, and that's when I started to like, I was like, I'm really writing here. I'm really writing here. And then I have a friend, mentor, auntie person who <laughs> would be reading my Facebook post. It's probably two or three years now. She goes, I tell you, listen. When the fuck are you gonna write a book? <laughs> and I was like, what, what, like, what do you mean? How do you even do that? Blah, blah, blah. I was doing that thing again. And she was like, I read these posts and I'm like, these are not social media posts. This is a book, right? And something about her just like it was clear, it was direct. And she just was like, listen, you, you think you have to go sit in the room and create a whole new thing? You already have a thing. You already have pieces written. She's like, why don't you gather all those pieces and put them together? I bet you have a book. And I did that. And that's how I ended up with this book called Gather. So say, I didn't know that story. I love that your book's called Gather after you were like gathering those pieces. Yeah, because so I had inspiring. been doing these practices that take you from the surface to deeper in. And then writing, journaling as a point of reflection and also writing after deep practices helps you to remember the wisdom that comes forward. Because most of the time we like have epiphanies and then forget them. <laughs> or we wake up a little bit and then we go back to sleep, you know? And I had clearly been doing that for a lot of my life. Like I'm kind of a writer. Oh, I'm going to go back to sleep. I'm scared. <laughs> like whatever. I'm going to not, you know, honor and acknowledge who I am. And so I wrote that book. <laughs> and I did not care if one person read it. But by, by the time I talked to my mentor friend, auntie, who was like, you need to do this and you need to do it now. I knew she would read it and I knew I would read it. And once I decided, right, once I was like, right, I'm going to put these things together. I have a book. It wasn't challenging from that point. And then when I had a book in the world, I was like, yeah, you're, you're, you're a writer, you've been a writer, <laughs> period, right? Like, it's like, <laughs> and, and so I guess that was a lot of words, but what I really, 
it's just like reclaiming, you know, like you can lose pieces of your identity. You can cover it up because you take this one path because it feels safe. And I really under, like, I understand, like when you are a marginalized person, you're like, hell yeah, I'm about to go to this law school and get this degree or do whatever the thing is. Cause it feels like it's going to create security <laughs> and it does in this one sense, but it also ultimately can make you feel incredibly insecure about the essence of your being. <laughs> And so a series of steps like caused me to remember basically who the fuck I am. And then to just be like, you know, I'm, I'm a writer. And I mean, I think that that's it. Like, it's just, I had to let go of some external definition of what a writer is. (laughs) And I think people get to define like their art, like you get to, what is an artist? What's your definition of that? (laughs) And so part of me was trapped in, well, I don't know. Do I meet that definition of it? Do I mean like, okay, I'm a writer because I write. It's like, it's my soul companion. I love it. It loves me. (laughs) So I'm a writer. This is it. Um, It's my soul companion. I love that. Also, your metaphor game is on point. So I'm glad that you claim the term writer because you are a writer in how the metaphor, like the the whole, it's a, it's a beautiful flame inside and you just layer things on it. I love that image. That's so true, right? Like so much of us start as a creative being and then life is like, oh, no, you don't get to be that because you're not good enough. Oh, no, you don't get to be that because it's not going to make you money. Oh, no, you don't get to be that because it actually brings you joy and you're supposed to suffer. Are you not going to be that because you're a girl? You're not going to be that because you're a boy. You're not going to be that because mm-hmm. you're non-binary. You're not going to be that because you're black. You're not going to be that because you're yeah. you don't, like it. Like my layers were were a lot of those. And then the other thing is like, I had the writers I was reading. It can be really like, you know, people talk about representation matters, you know, like I grew up in the rural South and I was rural South in Georgia and I was bused to schools my whole life. You know, I'm like, this place is still desegregating. It feels like to me, but I was bused to schools and I literally never, I never had a language arts teacher who looked like me. Like, I I mean, I I think a lot about like, what was the impact of not ever having language arts teachers who looked like me? Um, But also my mom is like, she was aware of that. And so she's like, we're going to go to the library. We're going to, it's why she was like supplementing my education. And I'm like, you know, in the place of like the institution of education, they never presented writers who look like me as the legitimate ones, my mother always did. And so I was living with this, um, it created a lot of inner friction. You know, like my 11th grade AP teacher pulled me to the side and she gave me bluest eye. And I was like, well, why isn't the whole class reading this? Why are we out here reading this? I don't even know what we were reading like. Ethan friggin' Frome or the Scarlet Letter. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what we, and I was yeah. like, she was like, this is important. And like, she she went to the side, give me all of these books, you know. But also, my mama would have already been like, well, we're going to go to the library and get those books. Here's Octavia E. Butler. Here's, you know, all these people. And so like that, I was getting this rich uh, sense of representation and we do this at home, but it also felt weird to be like, we are not acknowledged in this canon, you know? And I, that created some weird dissonance within me too. I'm grateful that I had a mother who was wise enough to be like, we exist, here's James Baldwin. We, you know, like read this, do this. 
but not having it represented in the formal space that I was learning in was confusing, yeah. you know, to say the least. So I think I just encourage people to, if you are writing and you have some ritual around it, you are in a relationship with writing, even if it's a complex one, claim your title, you know, like claim your title mm-hmm. for yourself. I love that. Claim the title for yourself. I love that you talked about it as um, a pathway to remembrance too. I would love to delve a little bit more into this idea of being a devotee to rest. (laughs) And one of the things you were talking about, which is so powerful and is, is the lack of seeing yourself out there and your voice represented or voices like yours represented. So feeling like you can't. And I think in that same realm, you talked about how as coming from a marginalized community where where people are pushed to like go and be successful because we really want to see these like ideas of success that we have. And that idea of success is like you said, the lawyer, the doctor, the person who's in the corporate job, who's working, you know, their themselves to the bone, but they got that nice car. And I'm not like dissing that nice car. I love me a nice car. <laughs> like, heck yes. yes. I want to, I want a fancy car. But I think that there is something about our idea of if you want to be a successful person and you're in a marginalized community, you need to show the big boys that you can play with them. You can hang with the big boys versus success as something that you just are first off. And second, that rest could be anything at all included with success. Like you work your butt off until you can retire at 70 and then have a heart attack, you know, like that idea. So when did being a devotee to rest, which feels so radical to me, but it's completely radical of a concept. Mm-hmm. When did becoming a devotee to rest come about for you? Was it a slow process or was it like a, this thing happened and it changed my life? It was both. <laughs> and it was either 2012 or 2013 when I'd get up in the morning, go to CrossFit, work out. I mean, I'm talking about 4.30, 5 o'clock, 5.30 a.m. workout run home, drink like some kind of green drink, wash off, get in my car, speed to my day job, which was public school teacher at the time, do that all day, you know, do after school if I was doing after school, go teach or take a hot power yoga class because I was teaching power yoga at that point and just keep going. Like the day would go to 11 p.m. I'd be back up at five or whatever time. And during that time, I wasn't taking, so I'm teaching yoga, I'm teaching school, I'm doing all the things, working out all the time. I wasn't taking care of myself though, actually, right? And I feel like I have to say that again. Like I was working out all the time, I was doing, like, and I looked like, girl, I'm gonna send you a picture of it. Like people was like, oh my God, you're in such good shape. I was corroded on the fucking inside though. I was not well, right? And I've also since, because I have an incredible therapy, come to realize that I had body dysmorphia, right? You know, like I wasn't seeing myself as I was and I thought I had to work out all the time. And and so anyhow, that lands me with this condition called rhabdomyolysis, which ultra marathon runners get, but it is the imperfect, perfect storm, right? Of dehydration, overwork, not enough sleep, everything. Like you have to be really ignoring your biological functions 
and not nourishing yourself, all of those things to get this condition. So, and this was after a really hard workout. A few hours later, like I start to have this incredible pain in one arm and swelling up. I'm going to spare you all the symptoms. And I um, Google doctored it. (laughs) (laughs) Which I don't recommend, right? (laughs) But I was just like, I don't got no time to be going to, I can't, like, I'm going to see what the internet tells me. I am too busy being healthy by working out all the time to actually go to a doctor to see why I'm in pain. I so I this I'm so glad you recapped it because I need people to understand the level of like inner unhealthiness I was suffering from. And so I'm looking it up and I sometimes you have a moment on the Google doctor when you go, I think that's what I have. <laughs> and I mean and I and then I start like looking up like how likely is this what I have? And they're like very unlikely people don't get this, especially like people in a certain age range, all this stuff. But I'm starting to feel like really bad. I'm like a, a kind of fatigued and tired that I could not ignore. And and I told my husband, I said, hey, I think I'm going to go to the hospital. And he starts looking really worried. He's like, I'm going to drive you. And I'm like, I don't need your help. You don't have to drive me. And I run out of the house and drive myself. One arm's really now not working. It's like locking up on me and I'm driving. And I'm like, and I'll be fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> Girl, I get up to the hospital, go to emergency. Fast forward, essentially, they don't test me for rhabdomyolysis immediately because they're like, how could you have that? That's so hard to get. Like, look at you. Oh, oh, look at your weight. You're so healthy. (laughs) All these things. (laughs) And then some doctor came in and was like, well, we can't figure out anything. So we're going to test her for this thing that the Google doctor told her. And they run out their test. And all I know is I hear someone like running down the hallway at some point. And they're like, we have got to get you some water. We have got to get you a room. You are dangerously close to your kidneys, potentially locking down. Like you're having a hard time filtering, blah, 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 blah. They tell me this. I'm sitting there and I'm like, does this mean I can't go to work? Mm. Yeah, right? Mm. And so, and then I'm like, they're like, what? They're like, this, she just say, do you under, you're getting admitted to the hospital. So I'm in the hospital and I'm like, okay, I got 24 hours in here. Then I go home and I'm still thinking about work. I call or I um, text one of my coworkers and she's like, I'm so concerned about you. And then I feel terrible. I'm like, please don't be concerned about me. I'm so sorry. I ruined your day. Mm. All the classic, I I was, I was struggling, right? I was struggling with like my, my worth is what I can do and produce for other people. Um, if it's not hard to attain, am I, did I really earn, like, I have to earn everything. Do I deserve it? If, if I didn't work hard for it. And so I'm laid up in the hospital. I'm in there with my looking at little like yoga videos, planning what I'm gonna do when I get out of the hospital. <laughs> Listen, smelling my like lavender scents, whatever. And this one nurse comes into, you know, the nurse, everyone's doing their job. They're amazing. One nurse comes in and she just looks at me and she's like, why are you in here? And I'm so irritated. I'm like, you got my chart. You know I'm in here. And I was like, ooh, that's spicy. (laughs) And then she said, no, really. Okay, you want to play that game? But I read you. She was like, I read your little chart. (laughs) How this happened to you. And she was like, runners get this. What you running from? What you running from? And I just start crying. And then she sat on my bed. And she 
she basically prayed with me, which I was like, I'm so grateful for this. I, I can't even remember the nurse's name. I remember her face clearly. She prayed with me and she's like rocking. And then she tells me the scripture. <laughs> she's like, do you know from, um, Psalms 46.10? And I'm like, what? I don't know that by heart. <laughs> and she's like, it says, be still and know. She's like, be still and know, you know, she's like, you're like, you're like chasing something and running from something at the same time. And she's like, you're not trusting, you know? And then she's like, listen, honey, like, she's like, I'm a grandma, I'm all these things. She tells me all the things she does in the world. And she's like, one day a week, I shut everything off. I tell all the grandkids, I kept tell all, I tell everybody I love the most. I tell my job, I tell everyone I'm resting and I'm doing whatever I want to do. Don't bother me during this time period. And so that lady was like my angel and something about her level of compassion and ability to see me and just be straight with me. And also her being like, yeah, yeah, I know you, you got all the things you want to do. You love, you like all the things. And she's like, you have got to be still, you have got to rest sometimes. So that was the beginning of me being like, there has to be another way. (laughs) And then it's a process, right? Because transformation happens all at once and also in the choices and decisions we make one one moment at a time. And I, I frequently have backslid, right? And been like, I don't know if I can trust this path. And so when I say I'm a devotee of rest, the way I think about and define rest is between one thing and another, there's always a pause, right? There's a space. And most of us don't notice the space because we just blow through. We don't notice that there's a pause between the inhale and the exhale because we're just like, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. We don't notice that when we get off this pop, off this call, there's a space. We can let that space be and then move into the next thing. And so for me, rest is acknowledging the organic and natural pause that exists in honoring the moments when we need to extend that pause. That's how I define rest. And so I'm a devotee of the kind of presence that allows me to be aware of the pause and to be aware of myself enough to know when I am like, okay, that little one beat of a pause, that's what I needed. I needed that one beat between the breaths or to notice when I'm like, I need to shut all of this down and I need to really lay down and snuggle up and you know so I teach restorative yoga where we're all bundled up we're wrapped up I love teaching restorative yoga to grown grown folks I love watching adults rest it's like my favorite thing to do and it's such a precious and tender thing and that's not all of what I'm talking about with rest I'm talking about honoring the pause and acknowledging it and allowing yourself to linger in it when you need to So I'm a devotee to that because also that in-between space, we can call it the liminal space, is where so much can emerge. Like when we get off this call, we'll need a moment to be like, what'd that feel like? Mm -hmm. What, 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 What did that bring up within me? What did it get me curious about? But if we just run to the next thing... It's like it never happened. And this is we have this is how we're usually living and we're trained to live this way from early on. And this is how we like forget the light within and then have to like unearth it again and again. And so I just got tired of that process. And so I I engaged the practices that allow me to rest because rest for me also awakens me to the possibility that exists within the pauses. So that's what I mean. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I I love all of that. 
I say that a lot on this, like on this call, but I think that we think of rest as something you earn. And I love that you talked about how it's, there's a natural pause between the inhale and exhale. There's a natural pause in everything in life. There's a natural cycle. Mm -hmm. And you talked about being aware of honoring and extending that natural pause. And I think within that pause, because when reflection happens, when that pause is actually where creativity exists. It is. So as writers, we're like, well, if I just sit down and do more, do more, do more, then I will be a writer. But what you actually need is that stop period. I call it the gathering period. It's the time to actually let whatever is out there talking to us come into us and like be a part of us. And I just love that you talked about it as the pause between the inhale and the exhale, that uh, that moment where you're just like, I don't have to do anything right now. I don't even have to breathe. I just have to be and rest and the possibility that, uh, that exists within that pause. That's so beautifully said. I, I love that. That also reminds me of a conversation that you and I have had about sustainability in our pricing and in the way that we build. Like I built the School for Writers Academy, my membership program, with we take the last full week of every month completely off to rest and read. And I encourage everybody in the program to do that. And then every third month, we don't put anything new out. That is a catch-up month. That is a creativity month. That is your month to come to the writing sprints. That's all we host is writing sprints. And that is your month to like go out and play and go out and have time and go out and rest and catch up if you need to and implement if you need to, but live. Mm -hmm. And when I first offered this idea, people said, there is no way people are going to want to join a membership program that has one whole month every quarter that you're charging them, but not giving them a lot of information. Like people just are going to want more and more and more from you. And yet every single person I've talked to is like, oh, that sounds amazing. There's a pause. There's an actual pause built in. So I get to like an excuse to pause myself. And I would love to know, so that was sustainable to me. I built the pauses because I needed the pauses mm. and I knew other people would need them. And I would love to know some of the other ways that you're building sustainability into your life. Like you're a writer and you're a yoga instructor and you're building a business. I would love to know the ways in which you're making your life and your business sustainable. You know, when you visit the liminal space or when you start to really like, ah, the pause is like a little crack in the door. Let me like settle in there for a moment things get real and you get real. And one thing that I don't do anymore is I don't say yes to like, just because someone wants to pay me or thinks they want to work with me, doesn't mean that they're the person I should be working with. Like I can feel into the vibration. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, my truth feels like this. That doesn't feel like my truth. (laughs) And, and, and when there's some kind of misalignment with who we're working with, it actually cost us so much more energy and that cost us so much more time. And it's like, I can lovingly and compassionately refer people to other people, right? Because also I'm like, I, I think I know the perfect person for you. So it's actually not saying yes to every single thing, not saying yes to every project, not saying yes to every email that comes into my box. 
and also um, pricing in a way that invites people into the investment <laughs> and invite you know like what thing I think a lot about pricing is it's a place where we're communicating and establishing value and you know, women's work is just devalued in ways that like we could talk, we could have a whole podcast about that. And because we are constantly experiencing that level of devaluation, we start to do it ourselves. We'd be like, I'll do all the things for free, (laughs) but like free. I can't eat free. I can't drink free. I would love to, like, I would love to live in the community, all of that, you know, exposure doesn't pay the bills folks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And And so for me, a way I've thought about my work being accessible is it being sustainable to me. If my work isn't sustainable to me, I can't support myself and my family within my my work. I can't continue my work. (laughs) And then the people who are in alignment with my work and that we vibe and it provides incredible value, then they can't experience the work as well. And as a yoga teacher, and in a space where there aren't a lot of, you know, like it's it's changing rapidly, but there aren't a lot of people who look like me who do this work as a way of making a living. And I actually think more of us deserve the opportunity to do that. And part of that, like we have to look at what does that mean in terms of pricing? What is the value of the work we're doing? What is the value of what we're offering? And if it's not sustainable for you to do your job, it's not sustainable for you to serve the people you're serving. I mean, I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Sure. That is, that is gorgeous and beautiful. So I'm going to ask you some of the last questions that I ask everybody when they come on my podcast. And that is, what is a book that you've read that completely changed your life? It doesn't have to be the book, but a book, just any book. Well, Their Eyes Are Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, it's a love story. And Tea Cake and Janie, I feel like what I have come to understand, it was like the first, first book, one of the first places where a Black man and woman, a Black woman like kissed out of choice and because she wanted to and just for the joy and, and pleasure and communion of it. Um, and I read that book when I was 13 and I, I read it like every two years still. And I'm not 13. <laughs> it's like a beautiful story about love and possibility and agency and power and even spirituality, I think. So their eyes are watching God. It's so good on audiobook too. Have you ever listened oh, yes. to the new audiobook of it? They just redid I, oh, it. Oh, they have a new one? I can't remember who the who the narrator is uh, thank but you it's so good they just re-released it oh, I can't remember who the narrator is and I'll, I'll message you I'll remember who the narrator is but it's absolutely absolutely gorgeous on audiobook and it's definitely one of those books that I think is beautiful to read the first time but definitely if you've read it a bunch listen to it yeah. in an audiobook it's great. That's good thank you yeah okay my next question is what is a book that you would love to read, but you don't want to write yourself? So I love Octavia E. Butler and Afrofuturism. I'm like, it's an amazing genre and I don't want to write it. I want like I have this like idea in my head. I'm like this person who goes to another planet and then they come back and they do this. 
but I'm like, I don't want to write that book. I just want to read it. So I think it'd be something, because I'm not sci-fi. <laughs> I'm Afrofuturism. And so I think it's just, I just say within the genre of Afrofuturism. Yeah. Um, I love to read it and I cape for it. And it's not, it's not what I'm writing. But then I'm like, watch, in 20 years, I'd be like, yeah, you wrote, a, you wrote that book, Octavia, so you lied to me. <laughs> right? I love that question. I have to, I'm going to go think about it. One of the things I love about that question is Elizabeth Gilbert posed in her book, Big Magic. And I love this concept that like ideas are just like floating in the ether. And that's actually something that comes all the way back to like Greek. So I'm like, okay, if we put this out in the ether, this idea, we're giving it to somebody else to just like run with, like have that idea. But I love that you're putting Afrofuturism out in your future and other people's futures, because even if you don't end up being the one to write it, we're, we're, we're like calling stories and genius and muses to being, to create more of that kind of storytelling in the world. Thank you for bringing that um, statement by Elizabeth Gilbert forward. Because I have this, this is probably like Afrofuturism. I feel like there's like kind of like an atmospheric, like there are messages in the ether. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like like how you could pick a fruit from a tree. Like sometimes, and this is what pausing and resting allows me to do is be like, I could pick that. I could pick that fruit. And sometimes I eat it and I'm like, oh, that's not for me. And then I might know someone. I'm like, hey, you want some of this? Like this, go take this, right? And so... I would I want to read that story about the messages floating and like how do a group of people who can access those messages and like share them and pass them around and then make them into something. That would be a really cool collection of short stories from different authors. Let's speak that into being. Yeah. Who picks the apple and what they do with it. I love that. Yeah. That just made me think of Adam and Eve, that, that story. Yeah. There's so many good, I, I mean, and this is how creativity right, works, right? You, that. we may, I ask this question, you say this thing, I say this thing, and then we go and all of a sudden we have this like anthology that's going to be a New York Times bestseller, you know, like, it, or, or we just put it out in the world and we let it go. And it's not the thing that's that we're right. on right now. Like, and both are beautiful and both are part of that pausing and reflecting and understanding that even if I never Yes, if you are called and you have to write that book, go write that book. But sometimes just the act of being creative without having to do something with it is yes. beautiful in and of itself too. Like what we just did, that was beautiful and fun yeah. and creative without yeah. us having to actually go and make that a book if we don't want to. Okay, our final, final question, even though I've loved chatting with you and we could go on for hours is if people want to engage more with what you put out in the world, with the beautifulness that is you, how can they do that? So I don't know when this is airing, but June 5th, I am leading a workshop called Rest Revelations, which is for people who, A, are ready to claim that they are writers, are people who are like, oh, I've already claimed it, boo, so let's get to writing, right? But it's it's a half-day retreat where we focus on resting and writing or just resting and allowing, right, like what's in the atmosphere to maybe descend, right? Um, but it's for people who are writers. So that's one thing I'm doing. My website's OctaviaRaheem.com. That's it. On Instagram, I'm Octavia Rahim. And those are the places you can find me. It's real easy. If you know my name, you can find me. <laughs> and I highly suggest getting on Octavia's newsletter because it is beautiful. And I love those little messages in my inbox. You can read my current book, Gather, which is self-published, and my second book, 
that I just turned in the second draft of yesterday. Praise, praise all, all. Congratulations. It's called Pause Rest B and it's out February 1st, 2022. Pause Rest B. I am so excited to get that in uh, February. Well, thank you again for coming on. This has been a beautiful, beautiful conversation about creativity and reading and writing and rest and our light as creatives. And I appreciate you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. I had so much fun. Thank you. I know. I have so much fun with you. I love this. We'll have to do it again for sure. Yes. Thank, thank you. you again. Have a great day. Okay. Bye. Bye. This week's School for Writers book recommendation is Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. On this week's episode of the School for Writers podcast, Octavia Rahim and I talked about our love for this book, and it truly is a beautiful book. It is part of what is considered the Harlem Renaissance, and it is set in 1937, and it has this beautiful way of combining both this concept of highbrow literary writing and a local vernacular of the African-American people that Dora Neale Hurston is writing about and communities that Dora Neale Hurston was writing about and a part of. At its root, it is a love story, but I feel like it's more than just about the characters in love. I feel like it's Zora Neale Hurston's love story to her community, to their culture and their language. I love that we see so much of the characters through the gossiping little bitties that are sitting on the porch talking about why this person's here in town and what they're here to do. Not only is it the kind of book that you can get completely lost in and that you can love and you can be a part of that world, but it's also a really important part of the African-American literary canon. And definitely one of those books that if you haven't read it yet, you should absolutely pick it up. It's one of those things that as a writer, you should understand. And as a reader, you should get. And as a human, you should go out and enjoy. Once again, this week's book recommendation is Zora Neale Thurston's Their Eyes Were Watching God. And I highly suggest listening to it on audiobook. It is narrated by Ruby D, who you might know from the Jackie Robinson story. And I just love her voice so much. And I really think that she has an amazing way of adding even more texture and depth to this already texturized and deep book. If you, like me, enjoy audiobooks, you should check out Libro.fm. Libro.fm is an amazing alternative to that big name that we won't name's audiobook company. When you buy an audiobook through Libro.fm, you also get to support a local independent bookstore. And if you use the link in our bio, you get a free audiobook and we get a free audiobook. We're not actually sponsored by Libro.fm yet. We're working on that. I just love suggesting them because I think they're a really great way to support your local independent bookstore while listening to audiobooks. If you are more of a tangible book person, go to the bookshop.org link in our bio and use that to get yourself a copy. That's an affiliate link. So when you use that, not only do you also get to support a local independent bookstore, just like Libro does, bookshop.org supports local independent bookstores, but you also get to support the School for Writers podcast. So go out there and grab yourself a copy of the absolutely wonderful, profound, and beautiful book, Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. You just finished another episode of the School for Writers podcast. Woohoo! Go you! Did you know that we're more than just a podcast? School for Writers is a full service support team helping you to get your story out into the world. Here are three ways you can get even more writerly inspiration and education. 
Number one, subscribe. It's so easy. All you gotta do is click that little subscribe button down below wherever you listen or watch the School for Writers podcast. That not only guarantees that you don't miss another episode, but it also helps support our continuation of this show. Number two, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest at School for Writers. Every day we post helpful tips and tools like journaling prompts, reading recommendations, and live interviews with inspiring experts. Number three, visit schoolforwriters.com where you can check out past episodes, join a writing program, and get even more tips, tools, and inspiration to support your writing life. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our Write More Challenge, a 10-day program to help you jumpstart your writing routine. Thanks again for supporting School for Writers. We'll see you next episode. School for Writers is produced by me, Lauren Marie Fleming, with editing and support from Samantha Olivares. All rights reserved by Las Maestras LLC. Our music is De Lejos by Ilabamba. Check them out on Spotify. Big thanks to the team at Terrorbird and big thanks to Kristen Hozak. And of course, a massive thank you to you, the listener. Now put down this podcast already and go write. I'll see you in the next episode.